God, we acknowledge in this moment that you are God. And you are good. God, we're asking that tonight you would do what only you can do. God, that you would be gracious and kind enough to speak. That you would have mercy on our hardened hearts full of pride. God, that you would Soften our stone-cold hearts. God, that you would engrave your very word on our hearts tonight. And that we would bleed the words of Christ. We're listening. We give you permission. We give you free reign in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Six infinity stones that control an essential aspect of existence. Space, power, reality, soul, Mind and time. I ask you to what end? Dread it? Run from it? Destiny arrives all the same. Who you feed is who grows. Feed your flesh, your chaos will grow. Feed your spirit, your walk with God will grow. Space. Is there room for Jesus in your life? Is he really your everything? Or is your life too full of you? Is he an accessory to your life? Is Jesus an add-on? A friend with benefits, if you will. Someone to throw up a Hail Mary prayer to when the crap hits the fan. Space. What you feed is what will grow. Power. God is far more powerful than the enemy. Far more powerful than the enemy. You and I, we have resurrection power living on the inside of us. That means that the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead after three days of being dead lives inside you and I. And anything else we believe besides that is a flat out lie. What you feed is what will grow. Reality. The enemy says there is no God. 
He's far off. Uninterested in the details of your life. The truth. Your spirit man. Says that I have unlimited access to God 24-7. And I can approach his throne of grace with confidence in my time of need. Because he's not like man. He has not grown deaf to my cries. But he is very, very aware of me. What you feed is what will grow. So, the enemy of your soul, your flesh says, I am a failure. I'm a disappointment. I'm unwanted. I'm unloved. I'm unlovable. I'm a mistake. I'm wasted space. I'm in the way. Jesus says, you are mine. You're mine. I choose you. I want you. I love you. What you feed is what will grow. Mind. The enemy fills your mind with lies. A child of God, however, is fixated upon the absolute truth of God. What you feed is what will grow. Time. Show me how you spend your time and I'll tell you who your God is. Show me how you spend your time and I'll tell you who your God is. Basketball, your friends, your boyfriend or girlfriend, social media, your hobbies. Show me how you spend your time, and I'll tell you who your God is. What you feed is what will grow. Infinity stones. Six things that control every aspect of reality. And sure, it's just a movie. But it is far more than just a movie. This is our lives on planet Earth. What you feed is what will grow. We've been in competitions all week for the gauntlet. Games, knockdown, drag out games. Fierce competition. Dragging each other by busted hula hoops. <laughs> and the list goes on. Some of you felt incredible about this week, man. Because you had the cutting edge. You came out on top almost every time. And the rest of you, I'm guessing, felt defeated. Discouraged. There's no point. See, what you feed is what will grow. But do you know who won this week? No. Not Team Red. Not Team Blue. Thanos won this week. And you know why? Because he stole your spirit. He stole your heart. 
In the midst of the competition, you lost sight of the big picture. You forgot what it was about. It wasn't about some jeweled magnet on a board and bragging rights for the rest of the school year. It was about each other. But the drama and the pride and the selfishness and the bitter complaining. Thanos won. Unfair? Yeah. It is. And it's not how any of us wanted this week to go. But you got so fixated on the thing right in front of you that you lost sight of the big picture. See, what you feed is what will grow. You feed your flesh, your chaos is going to grow. You feed your flesh, your your sin is going to grow. You feed your flesh, your animosity and your bitterness and resentment and disunity and all the things of the flesh is going to grow. But you feed your spirit, you get in the word of God and not only read it, but actually do what it says. You get in your prayer closet with Jesus and you tell him how you feel instead of gossiping about it to someone else. You engage with the living God through worship, not because you feel like it or it's been a great day, but simply because he is worthy, because he is God. Your spirit, man, will grow. What you feed is what will grow. You know what else is unfair? That Jesus had to carry my cross. See, it's not that this thing is heavy. It's really not that heavy. But it's incredibly inconvenient. And in the camp of about, I don't know, 30, 40 people, do you know how many people asked me today, hey, can I help you carry that cross? What you feed is what will grow. See, the reason you couldn't offer to help me carry my cross is because you're not carrying your cross. Because Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, he's got to deny himself, deny himself, die to himself, take up his cross and daily follow me. It costs you something to carry your cross. It will always cost you something. But if we want to talk about what's unfair, let's talk about how unfair it is that Jesus had to carry my cross. That is unfair. But when you carry the cross, it changes the way you live. And it changes the way you see others. And it changes the way that others see you. Because those three people came from one person walking down the sidewalk with me. Two other people instantly came. Hey, I want to help carry that cross. It's contagious. It changes everything. What's not contagious is your sin and your flesh. Because the thing is, is what you and I feed is what will grow. And you will either spend the rest of your life feeding your selfish, prideful, hard flesh. Or you will feed your spirit man. That place inside of you that loves Jesus and longs to please Jesus. What you feed is what will grow. You know what else is unfair? 
that you and I get punked all the time. All the time. Because we settle for lies. We exchange the truth of God for a lie, and that's how we live our lives. Jesus is better, and what he offers is always, always better. In Psalm 23, it talks about how Jesus invites us to the table. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When was the last time you said that in a minute? It's been a while for me, long time, actually. And he invites us to the table to come sit. And he prepares this lavish feast before us. And it's not necessarily a feast of physical food, although a majority of this looks really good right now, even the vegetables, which is quite shocking for me to say that. But it says that in the presence of your enemies, Jesus invites you to the table to come sit in fellowship with him in the presence of your enemies. Your life is not going to get any easier and you have got to understand that. It's going to get harder. Things are going to happen and life is going to be unfair. And your little heart is going to be crushed again and again and again. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, come, sit with me. Eat. Jesus is always better. And what he offers us is always better. But you and I get punked because we get mad at God when things don't go right. And we feed our flesh instead of feeding our spirit man. And so when God offers and says, come sit down and come enjoy my presence and come eat with me, we say, no, thank you, because I don't like how you do things. Because frankly, I think you suck at being God. I mean, let's just be honest and say it. I'll be the first to say it. I told him that. Excuse me, sir. With all due respect, you suck at being God. And the whole time, he prepares the table. And he says, Tara, come sit down. I want to tell you something. But this is what you and I do. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. And so instead of feasting with Jesus, we go and we feed our flesh. And it says in Proverbs that like the dog who returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. And so instead of sitting and getting nourished with Jesus, you and I, we go back to our piles of vomit and we eat it. And we say, oh man, this is great. I love my sin. I love creating my own rules. Mm." And you'll never make it out alive. Never. I can tell you that because I've walked to that. And it never, ever works. You know why dogs eat their vomit? It's fascinating, actually. Dogs actually smell the food in their vomit. And so they go to their vomit and they eat it because they're trying to fill their hunger. And you and I do that all the time with our sin, don't we? Man, nobody loves me. My family hates me. Let me go be sexually impure with a man so I know what it's like to feel loved. And the whole time, Jesus is at the table and he's saying, Tara, I've got better for you, baby. 
And instead of going and sitting down and being like, oh Jesus, this is an incredible cookie. And you were right, you are with me. You are for me, you're not against me. You and I get punked all the time because this is what we do. We're trying to nourish ourselves. And we come up short every time. And it makes us sick. And that's because what you and I feed is what will grow. If you feed your flesh, your sin and your chaos and your brokenness is going to grow. If you feed your spirit, man, if you go and sit with Jesus and you let him be God, your walk with God will grow. And you cannot wait until things get better because you know what? They're not going to get better. I keep telling y'all, it's not going to get better. It's going to get harder. That's why it says in Psalm 23 that in the presence of our enemies, Jesus invites us to come and to feast on that which is good. And it changes everything. Changes everything. What you feed... Is what will grow. But here's the good news. That's not the end of the story. That is not the end of the story. Because Jesus knew that you and I would jack it up. And that we would make little G gods of ourselves. And we'd have these false idols and these false gods. And we'd be disappointed and we'd be malnourished. And we'd be sick to our stomach. And so instead of just throwing us away like he could have done. He took our place. (laughs) That cross was ours. It was fully mine. It was fully yours. And Jesus stepped into that place. So here's how we're going to close this week. We're going to journey to the cross together. And I'm going to read an account of the cross and then we'll pray and we'll be done. But here's what's going to happen. I'm inviting each of you, adults included, to while I read, without talking and without causing a bunch of chaos and commotion, okay? To come lay on this cross. Just see if you can get comfortable on it. See what it feels like to have the beams in your back. And listen to the true account of the crucifixion. So when you're ready to do that, you're welcome to do that. And then you can go back and sit and listen. After the arrest in the middle of the night, Jesus was next brought before the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas, the high priest. It is here that the first physical trauma was inflicted. A soldier struck Jesus across the face for remaining silent when questioned by Caiaphas. The palace guards then blindfolded him and mockingly taunted him to identify them as they each passed by, spat upon him, and struck him in the face. In the early morning, battered and bruised, Dehydrated and exhausted from a sleepless night, Jesus is taken across the praetorium of the fortress Antonia, the seat of government of the procurator of Judea, Pontius Pilate. It was then, in response to the cries of the mob, that Pilate ordered Barabbas released and condemned Jesus to scourging and crucifixion. 
preparations for the scourging were carried out when the prisoner was stripped of his clothing and his hands tied to a post above his head. The Roman legionnaire steps forward with the flagrum in his hand. This is a short whip consisting of several heavy leather thongs with two small balls of lead attached near the ends of each. And the heavy whip is brought down with full force again and again across the shoulders, back and legs of Jesus. At first the thongs cut through the skin only. Then as the blows continue, they cut deeper into the subcutaneous tissues, producing first an oozing of blood from the capillaries and veins of the skin, and finally spurting arterial bleeding from vessels in the underlying muscles. The small balls of lead first produce large, deep bruises, which are broken open by subsequent blows. And finally, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons. And the entire area is an unrecognizable mass of torn, bleeding tissue. When it is determined by the centurion in charge that the prisoner is near death, the beating is finally stopped. The half-fainting Jesus is then untied and allowed to slump to the stone pavement, wet with his own blood. The Roman soldiers see a great joke in this provincial Jew claiming to be king. They throw a robe across his shoulders and place a stick in his hand for a scepter. They still need a crown to make their travesty complete. Flexible branches covered with long thorns are plaited into the shape of a crown, and this is pressed into his scalp. Again, there is copious bleeding, the scalp being one of the most vascular areas of the body. After mocking him and striking him across the face, the soldiers take the stick from his hand and strike him across the head, driving the thorns deeper into his scalp. Finally, they tire of their sadistic sport and the robe is torn from his back. Already having adhered to the clots of blood and serum in the wounds, its removal causes excruciating pain just as in the careless removal of a surgical bandage. And almost as though he were again being whipped, the wounds once more begin to bleed. The heavy patibulum of the cross is tied across his shoulders. And the procession of the condemned Christ, two thieves, and the execution detail of Roman soldiers headed by a centurion begins its slow journey along the Via Della Rosa. In spite of his efforts to walk erect, the weight of the heavy wooden beam, together with the shock produced by copious blood loss, is too much. He stumbles and falls. The rough wood of the beam gouges into the lacerated skin and muscles of the shoulders. He tries to rise, but human muscles have been pushed beyond their endurance. Jesus is quickly thrown backward with his shoulders against the wood, and the legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of the wrist. He drives a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly, he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly. 
The left foot is now pressed backward against the right foot. And with both feet extended, toes down, the nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees moderately flexed. The victim is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails and the wrists, excruciating pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails and the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places his full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there is the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of the feet. At this point, as the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward. Hanging by his arms, the pectoral muscles are paralyzed and the intercostal muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but cannot be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one short breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream and the cramps partially subside. Spasmatically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in the life-giving oxygen. Jesus experienced hours of limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain where tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins. A terrible, crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissue. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. The markedly dehydrated tissues send their flood of stimuli to the brain. The body of Jesus is now in extremes, and he can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. This realization brings out his six words, possibly little more than a tortured whisper. It is finished. His mission of atonement has completed. Finally, he can allow his body to die. Apparently, to make doubly sure of death, the legionnaire drives his lance through the fifth inner space between the ribs, upward through the pericardium and into the heart. There was an escape of water fluid from the sac surrounding the heart giving post-mortem evidence that our our Lord died, not the usual crucifixion death by suffocation, but of heart failure, a broken heart, due to shock and constriction of the heart by fluid 
and the pericardium. And that same Jesus, three days later, came up from the grave, proving every hater wrong. And he prepares a table before you and I in the presence of our enemies because he is better. And what he offers is always better. But you and I will waste our lives trying to feed ourselves off of vomit that will never satisfy, that will never nourish, that will never fill the hole that only Jesus can fill. What you feed is what will grow. This is it. We're going home. And you're going to go home to chaos. And you're going to go home to brokenness. And you're going to go home to the same sin that I'm tempted by. And we can either chalk this up as another great retreat and wow, it was fun and it was great and nobody won the gauntlet. Or we can let this moment mark mark us for the rest of eternity. We can stop settling for vomit when Jesus is offering us the best. (laughs) Because He is the best and what He offers us is the best. But whether you and I get punked the rest of our lives is up to you and myself. There's one table. There's one God. There's one enemy. There's one truth. There's one lie. What you feed is what will grow. I'd like you to close your eyes.